0: draws nigh. It doesn't matter what the news is. The good news about the bad news is Jesus Christ is coming again. And I tell you all the time, this is the only hell you're ever gonna go through. You're going through it right now. We're going to a place called heaven and it's as real as Fort Worth, Texas. And so we just need to be ready for that wonderful event. Somebody asked a man on the street, they said, what do you think are the two biggest problems in the world? And the guy said, well, first of all, I don't know. Second of all, I don't care. He said, well you have both of those problems. (laughs) Because ignorance and indifference are two of the biggest problems that the world faces today. Now I'll be honest with you and say that we're all ignorant just on different subjects. But there are some things we should educate ourselves about especially the things that pertain to eternity. Because we are people who are eternal beings. There'll never be a moment in time when you do not exist. The Bible says God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. The idea is you and I are eternal beings, we're living in temporal bodies, but we will live somewhere in eternity. And so we should be educated and we should be interested in things of eternal value. And certainly we should never be indifferent about those things as well. Because I can tell you this morning as we began this series, these are things that should encourage a Christ follower and these are things that should draw people who do not yet know Jesus to him. Because Jesus Christ one day, just as he came at Christmas, we believe that, one day he is coming again. There will be a second return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Uh, In biblical terms, we call it eschatology. And what I'm gonna do in this series is give you a little bit of a marathon of truth and sprint time. (laughs) So I'm gonna try to cover a lot of stuff, but I'm gonna give you enough, I hope, to provoke your thinking to where you might wanna dig a little deeper and dive a little more into this incredible topic that should absolutely encourage you as you prepare your hearts for what will absolutely be one day, and that is the return of Jesus to the world. Now, I'll tell you this morning, I don't know when that's going to be, I see these prognosticators and these people who get up, remember they had a billboard out one time about Jesus is coming, I don't remember what that was, you know, Uh, but anyway, they they put a date up there. Well, I look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and he warned his disciples, he said, listen, in verse 36, of the day and hour in which I will return knows no one, listen, Jesus said, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And Jesus reiterated it down in verse 42 of Matthew 24. He said, watch, therefore, for, listen, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now here's what I think about that. I think even if someone guessed correctly, he would change the time so that they would be wrong. (laughs) Because the Bible says no one knows. No one knows the hour, not even the angels of heaven. Now, here's what I know about the coming of Christ. You look in uh, Revelation 22 when John got to see heaven, he got to look over into eternity and what a beautiful book that is. It's the one book of the Bible when you read chapter one that said people who read the book of Revelation are blessed. You're blessed by reading, you just read it. And God said, I'll bless you for reading it. Now you may not understand all of it, but if you read it, you'll be blessed by it. And John got to see over into heaven. He got to see the things that will be. He got to see the eternal things about heaven. And John, in seeing heaven, concluded the book by saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. And man, that ought to be the prayer of everyone in the room this morning when you began your day say, Lord, come today. Well, could this be the day? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've heard this message, this topic preached on all of my life. My dad was a pastor and I would uh, hear prophecy. He would bring in people from time to time that would do a deep dive into the topic. And so I've heard this all of my life and I know the skeptic says, "Well, I have as well? And he hasn't come yet. I mean, John said back in his day, even so come Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, John wrote it, I will come quickly. And he promised to come quickly and we haven't seen him. So does that mean he's not coming? We'll understand what he meant by what he said. Jesus said that his return would be imminent. Now the word imminent means it it could happen at any moment. So the coming of Jesus is imminent and when he does return, it'll be immediate. (laughs) So I believe in the imminent return of Jesus and when he does come, as we'll see this morning, it will in fact be an immediate return. But Jesus is coming again. Now let me give you a little overview of my view of eschatology that we'll be covering in this series. I believe that the next event on the calendar of eternity is what we'll call the rapture of the church. And that's really what I wanna deal with a little this morning, meaning where Jesus Christ returns in the clouds for his own. I believe that's the next event that is likely to happen. In fact, look at our text this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, Paul deals with this. He says this, he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now I love that. God could have sent an angel to collect us and call us home and guess what? I would have gone, how about you? (laughs) But the Bible says when he comes for his church, when he comes for his bride, when he comes for his kids, he's coming himself. Isn't that a beautiful promise? The Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, (laughs) with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. People say, I just don't like it loud. Well, you're not gonna like the rapture because it's gonna be a shout and a trumpet. Trumpets are loud. He's coming with a shout with the sound of a trumpet because he's gonna wake the dead. (laughs) Because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now you ask the question. You say, well, Bill, I thought our loved ones were not sleeping in the grave. What does it mean when it says the dead in Christ shall rise first? That's a great question. Let me try to answer it for you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we are a spirit and we're a soul that inhabit a body. The spirit and soul are eternal. The body is temporal. When a person dies, and by the way, the word death by definition is separation. Separation of what? Well, obviously separation of us from the person who dies, that's the most obvious, but it's more than that. It's the separation of that spirit and soul, that part of that person that was eternal from the body that was only temporal. Now the body returns to the earth. Solomon says ashes to ashes and dust to dust, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ashes to ashes indicates cremation, dust to dust uh, indicates a normal burial, but he says irregardless, the spirit will return to God uh, who gave it. So what happens with these bodies when they go back into the ground, they go back into the earth, they sleep. And when the Bible speaks of death as a sleep, it always refers to the bodies that are sleeping. Now the spirit and soul, the part of our loved ones that are eternal, they're not sleeping, they're in the presence of the Lord. They're in some sort of temporal housing, but it's a housing that is recognizable. Because in Luke 16, when you have the rich man who dies and goes to hell and the poor man Lazarus in heaven, they saw each other and they recognized each other. So it's not gonna be like men in black where they hold that little wand up in front of your face and you don't remember anything. You know, and your memory, no. We'll have memory in heaven. Uh, You say, well, we know our loved ones when we get there. I love what one country preacher said. He said, I would hate to think we'll have less sense in heaven than we had on the earth. Well, yes, we'll know our loved ones there. I think we'll pick up where we left off. I think we'll share stories. I think to some extent there's information, my view, there's information that gets into heaven Uh, that our loved ones will have that they keep up with us a little bit here on the earth. You say, prove that. Well, Jesus said there's rejoicing, listen, in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Well, it didn't say the angels are rejoicing, it said rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Well, who's in the presence of the angels? Our loved ones are there. So it says to my heart that there is some information God will allow into heaven that our loved ones will know about events that happen on the earth. And I just believe this, anything that would make heaven more heaven, I think he would let them know. Anything that would make heaven less heaven, I think he'd filter that away. So my view is there is some information. We'll be able to pick up some conversations with our loved ones in heaven of events that happened on earth that they didn't get to be a part of but we will have memory in heaven. We will remember and we'll be able to talk and communicate. We will recognize each other in heaven one day. But what happens at the rapture, according to our text, is the dead in Christ, these bodies that have died, will be recreated and reunited with the spirit and soul that are with the Lord. That happens instantaneously in a moment as we'll get into a little bit. And so in that event, the dead in Christ will be raised first, verse 17, then we which are alive and remain. Now I hope to be among that group. I don't know about you. The older I get, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. <laughs> I hope we're in that number, right? Say, I'm afraid of death. Well, I am too, I have a healthy fear of it. But I'm just suggesting to your heart, we could very well be among the group that is involved in the rapture of the church one day. We which are alive shall be caught up together. You say, where's the word rapture in the church? Well, you won't find it, but you do find this expression, caught up, and that's what, by definition, rapture means. So we get the idea of rapture from being caught up. We'll be caught up, raptured, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Isn't that a beautiful thought? With them, with those that have, think about your loved ones that aren't with you today. Think about those that have already gone home to be with the Lord. You know I have a wife there, I have a granddaughter there, I have parents there, I have grandparents there. I have people that I love with all my heart that I miss every moment of every day. And one of the most beautiful things is to know that one day, friends, we're gonna be caught up together with them in the clouds. What a reunion. What a reunion. We're gonna be caught up in the clouds. Now, what's interesting about the rapture is Jesus, his feet will not touch the earth. Now that's significant and I'll tell you in a minute why. We're gonna meet him in the clouds. He will appear in the clouds. The Lord himself descends from heaven. There's a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Those that have died are resurrected, with bodies that are recreated, and we then with them are reunited. And where does this happen? This happens in the clouds. And not only will we meet our loved ones, but we'll meet our Lord. You ever wonder what Jesus looks like? You ever wonder what he looked? You ever imagine what he might look like? And one of these days, we're gonna see him face to face. We'll be with them, we will see him in the air, and I love this next phrase, and thus shall we always be with the Lord, unending. Friend, we're going to a place that'll never end. Things down here on this earth end, you get with your family from time to time, and it just, boy, you're not with them that long, and it's over, and you've made the memory, and you've moved on. We're not together very long. We just kind of bump into one another like touch and goes at the airport. But I'm just suggesting to you that when we get into this place called heaven, we will ever, we will ever be with the Lord. And I love how he concludes this, therefore. Remember what we said when you read the word, therefore, in the Bible? Look and see what it's there for. It connects what he's about to say with what, what he just said. He said, therefore, because that's true, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I've officiated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of funerals. I have people ask me from time to time, I'll soon be in full-time ministry soon for 50 years. And I've had people say, Bill, how many, time, how many funerals do you think that you've officiated? And honestly, I have no idea. I have no idea. I wouldn't even, be, I wouldn't even be, be afraid to even venture a guess. I remember my first funeral. It was for the cousin of my, or rather for the baby of my cousin. That was the first, Boy, that's a hard way to begin your your ministry career. But I was 18 years old and I did the funeral for my cousin's little one. And so since that time I've had, I don't know how many funerals, but I can tell you this morning, what I always try to do when I officiate a funeral is I try to give that family hope because there is a place called heaven. This isn't so long forever. This is just goodbye for a little while. We are eternal beings and yes, we're gonna miss them and yes, they're absent from their body but yes, they're present with the Lord and one day that body that we inter to the earth will be resurrected and recreated and reunited and we will have a reunion with them that will never end and Paul said, comfort one another. Man, I don't know about you but I don't know how people face a moment like that without the promise of heaven. I can see people from time to time when I do a memorial service, and I can almost tell by how they face that hour whether they have any hope of seeing their loved one again. And to be able to go through that without hope, I I don't know how people do it. In my darkest moments, in those soul-crushing moments when you lose the love of your life and you walk down that valley, there is something that brings some light and life into the experience, and you know what it is? It's the hope that we're gonna see them again one day. And Paul said, comfort each other. Remind people about that. Remember, this isn't so long forever. This is just goodbye for a little while. You will see them again. So guys, the next event is the rapture of the church. When we'll be caught up with the Lord in the clouds, he will come, and here's the distinction, for his own. He'll rapture the church from off of the earth. Now at that moment, here's the next part of uh, my eschatology understanding, we will begin a period of time on the earth called a period of great tribulation. Now God will leave behind a witness on the earth during that time of 144,000 and they'll be preaching to people who never had an opportunity to hear. It'll be the final warning to receive Jesus while there is time. And those saints that are saved during that period of time, the Bible says they go through great tribulation. In Revelation, when John got to see them, he'll say, who are these and where did they come from? And the the elder in heaven will say, these are they who have their robes washed white in the blood of the lamb. These are the great tribulation saints. So there'll be a number, no one can even number that will be saved during the time of great tribulation, those who did not have an opportunity to receive Jesus. So the rapture of the church is gone, great tribulation is happening on the earth, and following the time of great tribulation, the second coming of Jesus. Now I know I've talked about the second coming of Jesus, it's different from the rapture. And all the prophecies in the Bible, by the way, point to not the rapture, but the second coming. And what's distinctive about it is when Jesus comes that second time, there's the rapture when he comes for his own, the second coming he comes with his own. Now, according to the prophet Zechariah, when you read Zechariah 14, the Bible says his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. So we know kind of the point in which he's going to return. He's gonna return at the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says now at that point, the end of that seven year tribulation will be what we call the millennial reign of Jesus. Millennium is a thousand. It is a thousand year reign of Jesus on the earth. Now, we've been to the Holy Land, been to Jerusalem there just a few years ago with friends. And what you'll find from the Mount of Olives is you look over the holy city and you'll see the great wall that surrounds it. And you'll look down Valley of Kidron, and then there is that eastern gate that faces the Mount of Olives. Now all of the other gates are open, you can go through them, but the eastern gate is closed. It's, there's stones, it's completely closed off, and if you ask a Jewish person there, why is, that, why is that gate closed while all the other ones are open? And they'll tell you, the Messiah one day is coming. And when the Messiah comes, he's going through that gate to establish his uh, his, uh, throne upon the temple of David. That's where he's going to happen. Now they're looking for him to come the first time. I'm looking for him to come the second time. And so he'll go through that Eastern gate, establish his throne, and for a thousand years, we'll have what, what is called the millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. That's when the swords are, are, are beaten into plowshares and the lion lays with the lamb and we study war no more. And we'll get into that one weekend. And then at the end of the thousand year reign, you've got two significant judgments. One is the judgment seat of Christ where all of those since the time of Adam are brought before God, those who rejected Jesus, and they hear the final condemnation depart from me, you've worked deceit, I never knew you, Matthew 7, 21. And then there'll be a separate judgment, it's not really a judgment as much as it's an award place, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, or called the Bema, Bema, it was where the Greeks had the Olympic games where they would have the, uh, uh, the stands where the medals were handed out and the rewards were given, and that's what that represents. One day we'll stand before God, not to be judged, all the judgment took place at the cross, we'll stand before God to give an account of our lives. What did we do with what we had? What did we do with our resources? How did we treat our family? How did we treat our fellow man? We'll either gain reward or lose reward, according to 1 Corinthians 3. So that happens at the end of the millennial reign. And then, I mean, at the end of those judgments. And then the Bible says, well, that happens at the end of the millennial reign, then the judgments, and then you have God creating a new heaven and a new earth and then the beginning of eternity will start. You and I will spend eternity with God forever. Now that is a snapshot, a quick overview of my view of eschatology. Now I can tell you where I am progressively in this. I am what is called a pre-tribulationalist, meaning that I believe Jesus Christ returns for his church prior to the tribulation. Meaning that I don't think you and I will go through that seven year of great tribulation. I think the rapture happens prior to the tribulation. Now there are some who believe, because there's a significant event that we'll talk about later, uh, that happens three and a half years into that seven year. And some believe based on that significant event that happens three and a half years, that that's where the rapture happens. That we'll go through three and a half years of great tribulation, then there'll be the rapture of the church. They refer to themselves, obviously, as mid tribulationists uh, And then you have those third group who believe in post-tribulation, believing the church will go all the way through the Great Tribulation. Then you have the second return of Jesus and establishes the millennial reign, post-trib. So I'm a premi. I'm a preemie. Um, and people won't always agree with me on that, but that's okay, they're wrong about other stuff. But I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pre-tribulational. And then the second part of that is, I am a pre-tribulational, pre-millennialist. Uh, I believe that all takes place prior to the return of the Lord. So I'm pre-trib, pre-millennial. Now there's two types of views of, of the millennial reign. There is a pre-millennial, my view, which Jesus returns prior to that event, establishes his throne on the earth for a thousand years. We rule and reign with him. I'm, I'm pre-millennial, believe that he'll, he'll come prior to that. Uh, but there are, uh, there are um, amillennialist, amillennialist. Uh, Anytime you put ah in front of the word, it negates the word. For example, uh, you have a museum. It comes from the idea of muse. Muse is to think. So a museum is a place where you should go to think. But if you put ah in front of the muse, you have to be "ah amused, which is to be made not to think, (laughs) which we understand that, right? So to be "ah amused means I'm Experiencing something that I'm not really having to think a lot about. So, an ah uh, millennialist just means I don't believe in a millennium. That's all it, the term means. So, I'm pre tribulational, premillennialist. I believe those events will absolutely happen. And I believe we are right at the precipice of seeing the rapture of the church become a reality. And the first thing I would have you consider as we process through this for the message this morning is what I'm calling the signs the signs of his coming. Are there signs are the things we can look at that indicate this event is near? And I can tell you, there are many. Uh, Jesus said in one place, it'll be as the days of Noah were, uh, that the coming of the Son of Man could be. And that takes us in a, a little different direction. And I, for time's sake, I went to Matthew 24, where his apostles asked him, what are, the end of the, what are the signs of the end of the time? And I broke it down into four things just for time's sake that would help us wrap our heads around these signs of the coming of Christ. Uh, Jesus said, number one, you will see deception in the earth. And he's speaking there in Matthew 24 verses four and five, he's speaking of spiritual deception. And I don't think we've ever seen a time in which the devil has done more to try to deceive people when it comes to their spiritual lives as what we're seeing now. Some people just throw up their hands and say, I don't think anybody can know. I, I just think you'll never really fully understand how to go to heaven. Uh, I had one guy say, I just think at the end, you stand in front of a big scale and God weighs all the good you've done against all the bad you've done. If one outweighs the other, you go to heaven, then you go to hell. Well, man, I'd hate to live my life not knowing with that kind of uncertainty. And the Bible, especially when I read Romans uh, 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 3.23 when it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and read Romans 6.23 that says, there's none good, no, not one. And then I read Isaiah when he said, all of our righteousness is ours filthy rags. I'm thinking the scales are already tipped against us. (laughs) I don't like my chances. And so instead, I find myself at the cross saying, Jesus, I accept your payment for my sin, and I don't believe you're one of the ways to heaven, I believe you are the only way to heaven. And so there is a very distinction when it comes to what we believe that merits salvation and we, didn't, we don't have to be deceived by it. Uh, you, somebody said, well, you know, they're all different roads, but they all end up in heaven. Well, that's a sweet thought, but it's just not biblical. If you go to DFW Airport, when we get out of this service, and you wanna go to Denver, can I tell you something? Every plane ain't going to Denver. When you get on that plane, they're gonna say, this flight so-and-so is going to Denver. So if you for some reason got on this plane and you don't wanna go to Denver, you probably gonna get off now. I'm saying all roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus made that clear when he said in John 14, I, he said, am the way, the truth, the life, not one of many, the, meaning I am the only way to heaven. And then he said, no one comes to the Father except by me. But guys, we're living in a day where deception is everywhere and people are so confused when it comes to spiritual things. He said that's one of the signs you can tell we're getting to a point where Jesus will return. Another thing is disputes. Matthew 24, verses six and seven. The Bible says you'll see wars and rumors of wars going on all around you. I read an interesting stat, it's produced by um, uh, a a group that studies these kinds of things and track the numbers of wars that are in the world. They said before World War II, there were 2.6 wars every year. Now we're seeing more than three wars every year, major wars worldwide, and right now as of today, while we're in this room, there are 32 different wars going on somewhere in our world right now. Where people are fighting conflicts and wars, and that's another sign, Jesus said, when you see wars and you see rumors of wars, and this is happening in your world. So deception, disputes. Third one, devastation. He talks about it in the natural world, Matthew 24, 7, where you're seeing food shortages, you're seeing the outbreaks of diseases and all these crazy variants that's going on in our world. He said that's a sign, that's a sign you can look to that the end is near. Fourth is destruction. Uh, Matthew twenty four seven. He talks about the martyrdom of those who follow their faith. Uh, a study by in twenty twenty one from the World Watch List reported in twenty twenty one there were three hundred and forty million Christians living at a high level of persecution and discrimination. Of that number, forty seven hundred and sixty one had been martyred. Forty four and and eighty eight. I'm sorry, forty four hundred and eighty eight churches were attacked in twenty twenty one. And in 2021, 4,277 Christians were either detained or they imprisoned without trial. So I'm just saying, guys, if you don't even look at the Bible, you just take your newspaper, you have to come away saying, this thing can't continue to go the way it's going without something changing. I think I told you, maybe I told the first service that I think my, my view of this is one of two things has got to happen. Number one, Jesus is going to return. Sooner than later, our number two, we're going to see a spiritual awakening in our world, a return to God. So all of these things really tend to point to the fact he's coming again. I read a report from the University of Oxford, their Future of Humanity Institute, and here was a summary of their report. They said, listen, there are more papers about dung beetle reproduction than human extinction. And then they concluded, we have our priorities slightly wrong. Another group of scientists say a self-induced catastrophe such as a nuclear war, a bio-engineered pandemic, or threats from space and geologic uh, upheavals threaten us all as well. So the scientific community who study these things are saying we're headed towards some kind of a culmination of some sort of a cataclysmic event, and these are not religious people at all, most of them. And then in Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 8.22, Paul wrote, for we know that the whole creation, listen to this, groans and labors with birth pains until now. Paul said, man, the whole world is kind of laboring and groaning as it ages and gets older with a depletion of an ozone layer and all the things we're seeing in our world. What am I, what's my point? In summary, I'm saying according to Jesus, these are all signs that we're headed toward the return of Jesus to this world. So there's signs of his return. Let me give you the second one hurriedly. You have the surety of his return. How certain am I? Well, in the Old Testament, there are 1200 times that the Old Testament prophesies concerning the second coming of Jesus. Now it talks all throughout the Old Testament about the first coming, that's he's coming as Messiah. This is the second coming of Jesus when he's coming to rule and reign. The first coming, he came to suffer and die. The second coming, he'll come to rule and reign, the millennial reign. So in the Old Testament, 1200 times he talks about that. New Testament, over 300 times he talks about it. In fact, in Jude 14, listen to this, Enoch, who is the seventh from Adam. Now we're going way back to the time of Adam. Enoch prophesied that the Lord will come one day, and listen to the phrasing, with ten thousands of his saints. So when you go back into the ancient days, Enoch, seven generations from Adam, knew one day God is returning. He's gonna right the wrongs. He's gonna bring justice into our world. He's going to set everything right. He's going to avenge his own. And this is going to happen, he said, with 10,000, he said, of his saints coming with him. And then Jesus, as I told you earlier in John 14, 6, him, Jesus himself said, I will, I will come again. He told them, he promised that. I love what Acts 1, 11 talks about Remember after the resurrection, you had the ascension of Jesus where he ascends out of the sight of his apostles. And the, here's Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, an angel said, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, listen, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They said, just as you saw Jesus ascend, one day the Lord himself, as I read a moment ago, will descend from heaven. So how sure am I? I'm as certain as the Bible teaches, Jesus Christ is coming again. So I've given you a few signs, I've talked to the surety, let me get to the suddenness of it. How quick will that happen when he comes? Matthew 24, again, verse 39, this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken, the other left. He said, therefore, keep watch. You don't know what hour your Lord will come. How fast will it be? Matthew 24:27 as lightning that comes from the east that is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Second Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. John, in John 22, verse 20, as he's writing Revelation, he said, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly, amen. I gave it to you a moment ago. He said, even so come Lord Jesus. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul said, I'll tell you a mystery, a mysterion. We will not all sleep. Not everybody's gonna die. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. How fast, Paul? In a moment, how fast is that moment? He said, the twinkling of an eye. Now I researched how fast is the twinkling of an eye. People have actually studied that. They said it's that moment in which light hits the eye and you just get a glint. Uh, One scientist identified it this way, it was interesting. He said he believed it's 11 one-hundredths of a second. 11 one-hundredths of a second, that's pretty quick. (laughs) The twinkling of an eye, what's my point? That's how quick this happens. This happens in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, we will be changed. So how fast does this happen? You see the signs, you know the certainty, when it happens, how sudden is it? He said two guys will be working together, In one minute one's there and one's gone. Two women will be working together. One moment, one minute, one's there, one's gone. It'll happen so quickly, it'll happen in the, in, the, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll suddenly go from where we are to the very presence of God to meet our loved ones in the clouds, ever to be with the Lord. Last thought. You have the serenity of His coming. The serenity of His coming. The peace of His coming. First Thessalonians four. Again, I reread our text, verses 16 through 18. The Lord comes in the clouds, He gathers his own with him in the clouds, and he concludes by saying, comfort one another with these words. In my dad's old church, there was a hymn that they would sing from time to time, and the hymn had great words. Uh, you, You could Google it and read the words, they're really great, but let me just give you a summary. It says, some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, shadows, all gone. We'll shout the victory, we'll break through the blue, some golden daybreak for me and for you. Can I tell you no matter how heavy the load gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much oppression you face or opposition you face, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we could be with Jesus. It could happen. Can I give you one more theory before I'm done? I believe the only thing that he's waiting on is for his body to be complete, the body of Christ here on the earth. Because I know he won't leave any of his kids behind So I think the body of Christ is not yet completed. One of these days, the last person known in the mind of God will receive Jesus. The body will then be complete. You see, God is sovereign. He knows who will receive him. He knows who will reject him. When you read Romans 8, 29, the Bible says, for those whom he did foreknow, them he did predetermine to become the sons and daughters of God. So foreknowledge means God knows things beforehand. Personal illustration. God looked down at me raised in a pastor's home and said, because he's been around preaching in heaven and talking about Jesus and the cross all of his life, he'll receive me at an early age. And as a young boy, I I placed my faith in Jesus. So God knew I would before I did. And so what he did, because of his foreknowledge, he predetermined some things would happen. You see, the foreknowledge of God sets up the predetermination of God. Uh, some believe in predestination, meaning that uh, God has predetermined who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, and we have no choice in the matter. Some believe that uh, idea of predestination means God looks down out of heaven and goes, yinny, many, miny mo, you go to heaven, to hell you go. <laughs> well, that's not taught. The Bible says in, in 1 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. He didn't say many, he said any, but that all should come to repentance. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. But the foreknowledge of God, God knew I'd receive him, and so he then predetermined certain events that would happen in my life based on his foreknowledge. So I say that to say this, he knows who will receive him and who will reject him. And it's my view that he's still waiting, the only thing he's waiting on, he's waiting on that last person to say yes. And I've often thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be in a service like this? Now, I'm gonna close now in just a few seconds. And I always close by giving people a chance to receive Christ. But wouldn't it, just, wouldn't it just be amazing if in this room was the last person watching online, maybe watching a podcast, would be that last one to say yes. And they receive Jesus in that moment and then the father looks at the son and says, that's the last one, go get him. And all of a sudden, the Lord himself descends from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And we, which are alive and remain, are caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wouldn't that be just amazing? So I believe that's the one, that's why we reach people. That's why we're reaching out to people. Because we know that one day, that last one will be in. One day, our Savior will return. So lift up your heads, friends. Keep looking up your redemption draweth nigh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for the assurance that you are coming again one day. Lord, our prayer is, as John, even so come Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that could be soon. Lord, we pray for our friends here this morning who are carrying some burdens. Give them the encouragement today that we're going to a better place. This is is as bad as it'll be. This side of heaven is as bad as it's gonna be. They're going to a better place. Lift the burden from them today. Encourage their heart. Let them know you've got them and you've got this and you cannot fail and you will not fail. And finally, Lord, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you and they're not really ready for that coming of Christ, that this might be the moment where they humble their heart and they say, Lord Jesus, With everything I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, even so come. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.